y'all got your Bibles? Let's flip in our Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, and the, and the message of today's message is, how many followers do you have? And the reason that I said it is because this thing, it's funny, it's called social media. I don't know if you guys have heard it. But there's this term nowadays, it's, it's, uh, it, it's trending. Have you guys ever heard that term before? At the point in Jesus' ministry right now, he's trending. He's trending up. And people are coming from all over the place to see him. Now, how many followers you have may be important to you, may not be important to you. There's a few different kinds of people when we look at or talk about social media. There's the kind of people who are just on it for their immediate family and friends. And they're always talking about, you made the last cut. You made the last cut. And we're like, yeah, I made the cut. I'm important enough to you for you to keep me on your friends list. And there's other people who want to be the kind of people that are trendy or trending. So they send everybody requests to follow them. Hey, follow me, follow me. And those people, you know, they have a very diverse and interesting group of people that, that come around them. And then you have the people who, you know, like me, I guess, I would be classified as the kind of person that I just don't care. I used to. I used to be like, friend request, three mutual friends. I don't know you. Denied. But then I realized that, you know, my life is kind of public anyway, right? I mean, you have to live out there. People are going to see you and, and networking and getting to know people and, and being able to use a platform that we have today to share the gospel. So I started being like, you know what? If they don't look like total creep bags and we've got a couple mutual friends I'll let them follow me because ultimately if they start following me, they're going to be following Jesus anyway, right? Hopefully, the things that, that, that we see. Now, what's important about the text this morning and what we're talking about is we're going to see after Jesus has established his authority to everybody and last week specifically to those who thought that they were in religious authority over others, the Sadducees and Pharisees, after Jesus did that, uh, now he's going to, we're going to see the response to Jesus' authority being established. And here's the thing about life. We will all have to respond throughout the things that, throughout our life, in the things that come up during the process of life. And the way that we respond to things really is indicative of our character or who we are. The response is necessary. We're going to see four responses this morning, four different types of people, four groups of people that were followers of Jesus. Did you know that you can be a follower of Jesus and be opposed to him? This morning, we're going to look and see how that's possible, because to some degree it is. And I think that for us, there's those uh, things that we can look at like this morning that can point in our heart and, and tell us, instruct us what kind of follower we are. We've been got, getting a lot of responses lately, haven't we? Especially if you're on social media. The, the president is starting to pass a whole, I, you, I said it, the president, your eyes peek up, huh? Why are we talking about politics, Tim? He's, he's passing these things and it is creating a firestorm of 
response. And I think our response to the way people are responding should indicate to others who we are following. Who are we following? If I respond in a certain way, it is going to be, again, indicative of who I'm following, who I have stock in. And if you're following Jesus, then your response would be, will be appropriate. It will be. Really quickly, touching on, on that beginning point, you know, there are people in responding right now to the things that are going on who are my friends or who are following me that I disagree with. They, they come out very harshly and very rash and they're very upset. And the initial thing for me is how do, how do I respond to their response? Okay. Is this making sense? How do I respond to, 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 to what's happening with them? I want to, to, to love them, and I want to be able to dialogue with them, talk with them. And maybe in the past, if somebody offended me, I would not allow them to follow me anymore. You're lucky you made the cut. I'd say, you're out of here. You don't have the privilege of me seeing your status updates any longer. But the reality is, Jesus never did that. Did he ever eject anybody? He's like, you know, you, you, I'm sick and tired of you, Peter. You keep saying stupid stuff. Get out of here. Or you guys, I know you. Could you imagine the Son of God being with a group of people, being with a vast multitude of people, and knowing all of them as the Son of God and allowing them to still hang out? Remember last week, Jesus was willing to hang out with the tax collectors and sinners because inside them, he knew that they needed him. So he was willing to hang out with those who were broken and not get offended by their position. In fact, it's the people who tend to get offended at Jesus. And we see in Scripture that those are the people who leave. Not because Jesus tells them to get out of here, but because they're like, I'm offended, I'm leaving. Jesus is like, see you later. If you're not going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you ain't have no part of me. Get out of here. But he didn't kick them out. He didn't tell them to leave. Jesus wanted them to see his life. And then we see in these Scriptures, these verses how he responded when even people rejected him. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Now we know that they had just been in a synagogue. It was the Sabbath. They were watching him to see what he was going to do. They were arguing about the Sabbath. There was a guy who was crippled, and the the religious elite were like, this is perfect. He's probably going to heal the guy with a crippled hand. And then we can get him right where we want him. Instead of, oh man, that guy was crippled, (laughs) and now he's healed. So Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, heals the guy anyway. And then it says in the the verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing came to him 
This is the first group that we're going to look at. The first group of the four is the multitude. Jesus is trending. The people need something. So they're following him and the word is spreading and, and, and there's tons of them. We're going to see just how many. But there's tons of people. Jesus does not prohibit them. He welcomes them and they come and they're following him around the whole region. This is, this, the, the areas that he just mentioned are within a hundred mile radiant, radius. Thank you. The people are traveling for days to come see him. But they, they end up being part of this group that's the multitude. Verse 9, so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him know. So in this multitude of people, there's all kinds of people. These aren't people who are just strictly followers of Jesus. These are just people who are following him. And really what we see is not just a diversity in this group, but a people who are kind of just looking for something to, to uh, address a need that they have. Interesting note, check this out. What happens in verse 11 when the, the unclean people see Jesus? Says, they fall down before him and cry out, saying, you are the son of God. Isn't it interesting that there was knowledge of the son of God on earth? People were responding to it. People were going to see him. But the demons and the unclean spirits could not prohibit people from going to see Jesus. Isn't that cool? They're traveling a, f a long way. There's a spiritual dimension and a spiritual warfare that's happening. And if these people want to go meet Jesus, the unclean spirits are not able to physically prevent them from going. Which same is true today. Whatever the problem is, whether it's addiction, whether it's, it's anger, rage, Whatever the issue is that we have or whatever influences us that would like to separate us from a, a relationship with God, it can't truly prohibit us if our desire is to meet with Jesus. And then Jesus has the authority over that thing in our lives to silence it, be quiet, to cast it out. We see a group of people who are experiencing tremendous blessing from the Son of God. I guess my question would be, don't take this the wrong way, but are you one of the multitude? Have you seen or realized that Jesus has something to offer you? That there's churches that are full of people and that you're willing to go because, you know, there might be something on the buffet that you like that you can take. That would be somebody who is in a, the kind of multitude mentality. How do I feel today? Do I feel like going to church this week? What's your desire? What's your drive to follow Jesus? 
Let's look at the next one, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. These disciples, these 12 who are going to become apostles, have a specific calling on their lives. And what does it say? Jesus wanted them. When Jesus calls you, specifically, you have to follow him. You have to. He's the Messiah. You're recognizing his position and his authority, and they do too. Jesus separates himself even more than he had in the previous verses, and then he calls to him those who he wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Jesus was not a micromanager. He wasn't like, you know what, I'm the son of God. You guys are followers. You can hang out with me, but really, like, if you want to see how it's done, I'll show you, you know. And if you want to figure it out yourself, no, no, that's my, that's my responsibility. That's my duty. That's what I want to do. You guys know people like that? It's all about them. Jesus says, I want to recognize these men as being separate from the multitudes, And give them a gift, give them a blessing, give them a calling so that they can do the same things that I'm doing. And the interesting thing is they all went and it doesn't say that any of them left when Jesus gave them a commission. It doesn't say that they left when they had been experiencing everything that he had. Jesus is like, I want to give you guys the same authority that I have to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And they're like, no way. We just saw what happened. They want to kill you, Jesus. You know, we want to be your follower, but, but we're going to mingle in with the multitude. You see what I'm saying? We don't want that level of persecution attached to us that's attached to you because you have great authority, which also means you have great responsibility, and we don't want that same kind of responsibility. They did not do that. They said, okay, let's go up to the mountain. Okay, what do you have to say to us, Jesus? Send them out that they send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. We remember that there's an order to preaching. If you don't want to be part of the multitude, a group of people who are just going to hang out with Jesus and maybe get something from him. If you're a disciple that Jesus is called to be closer to him. One of the things that you have to be willing to do is preach the gospel to people. Is to tell them that Jesus is the Christ, that he has the answers, that he gives the peace. Instead of just inviting somebody to church because they might benefit from the experience in some other kind of uh, extra way, right? Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bernogus, that is, sons of thunders, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. So he calls these guys, it's listed for us, And this isn't a calling that starts right now. In a few chapters later in the future, we're going to see that it's one thing to 
tell somebody or ask somebody to do something, and then it's another thing when it starts to happen, right? It's like going to college. You're getting ready for something. You're getting a degree in something, but nobody necessarily wants to hire you yet. (laughs) You've got to graduate, so to speak. So we're going to see, Jesus says, this is the calling that I have for you guys. You are the 12 guys who are going to have this power and authority. And also, he's going to start telling them, at that time when their ministry starts as apostles, which simply means somebody who's sent out, an apostle is somebody who's sent out, we're also going to see during that time frame that Jesus starts bringing up the reality that he's not going to be with them forever. And they start to get worried. You know, the Son of Man's going to be going to be crucified, going to be killed. What are you talking about? No, 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 no. There's 13 of us. We're cool. We can do this thing forever till the kingdom comes. Who's going to sit on your right and your left? Who's going to be the big dogs, the head honchos? We'll all be in it together. Not yet time, but we do see our second category of followers, the first being the multitude, the second being the apostles. His disciples that were willing to go wherever and do whatever. Now, if that prayer scares you, then maybe it's time to do some soul searching, you know? I I remember one of the first books that I read as a young Christian, I was very young, and I think maybe it was a mistake or maybe God was trying to teach me something. The first Christian book I read was Fox's Book of Martyrs. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I want to follow you, but I don't, I don't know about all this garbage baloney. You know, I don't want to die. I'm not trying to get persecuted. And Jesus is like, well, you know, if I tell you to go somewhere, are you going to go or are you not going to go? When you ask the question, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want? my life how can i follow you in obedience according to your calling is there a little bit of fear in there with that well what if he makes me do something i don't want to do that's not how god operates in fact whatever he calls you to do he's not only going to fully equip you to do there's going to be a joy in the calling there's going to be a joy in service In fact, once you start following Jesus in that calling in your life as his follower, you're not going to want to do anything else. People aren't going to be able to shut you up in that regard to what he wants you to do. And it's a blessing. So more specific, the first group's the crowd who didn't really have the wherewithal to, to get as close to him as some for their own reasons or whatever. And then there's those who who just wanted to be as close as possible to Jesus and would go anywhere, do anything. Let's ask ourselves this question, how far are we willing to go and revisit whether we're willing to change the mentality that we have right now in that regard. So they went to a house. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread but when his own people heard about this they went out to lay hold of him for they said he is out of his mind that's right you just read it his own people these were the people who were closer to him some believe because we're going to finish this chapter with jesus talking to his family members some people believe that it's those who were from his own town, even part of his own family. And what does it say that they're saying about him at this point? They're still following him. They're still there. 
But they're going to seize, and the language in the Greek is clear, that that's the word directly connected to what they're doing. They're going to seize him, to capture him, because he's going crazy, and they need to help redirect him so he doesn't, you know, go off the rails. There's so many people, there's so many people following him, there's so many people getting into the house trying to get it, they can't even eat food. Talk about standing room only. If the disciples are feeding each other, here, bro, I can't stick this in my mouth, but maybe I can get it in yours. That's how busy it was. And, and, and it, those who were closest to him was like, this is, this is, they were like, this is crazy. You got to do something, Jesus. You're going to, what? You're going to get in trouble. This isn't how we were raised. This isn't what you should be doing. Whatever the case may be, They are directly connected to some degree to this next section. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in a parable, in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Jesus groups this third group of people together, those who are passive-aggressively trying to help him from going crazy, and those who are following him but are directly opposed to what he's doing. Isn't that crazy? They're following him for the wrong reasons. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem said he has a Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. They're grasping at straws. They're trying to do anything they can to discredit Jesus' ministry. When he's healing people of diseases, he's cleansing them. He's, He's releasing the bondage of the people. He's casting out demons. And their responses, it must be a work of Satan? Man. Now, I don't think that there's anybody here this morning. Possibly, only you know, that fits into this third category is somebody who's willing to be a follower of Jesus to discredit and point out the faults and flaws of him and others in the church. But if you are, Jesus still lets you come doesn't he? He still lets them come. He still dialogues with them. He still talks. And maybe by some measure, the grace of God will be in that person, seeing these things to the point where they realize how badly they actually need Jesus, and they're not willing to oppose him. Does anybody in particular in Scripture come to mind in that regard? Paul the Apostle. Maybe he wasn't following the other disciples around or whatever, but he was definitely pursuing and, and willing to kill those who opposed 
their religious fundamentals. And then in an instant, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? I'm your Lord. And we see on Paul's behalf, submission to the Messiah. So there's still a following or there's a group of people who are following that maybe aren't considered as true disciples or students. But God still wants them to come to a realization and understanding that Jesus is the only way. He is the Lord. And they're not cast out. On that note, we can we kind of ended. It's, it's kind of interesting how we ended the last section of group two and went into the third. And the last person who was listed in the 12 disciples was who? Who was the 12th that was listed? Judas Iscariot. Right before you go into a section that talks about those people who were following Jesus but were opposed to him. And not only did Jesus let him follow him, but he included him in his inner circle and would just show this guy love and mercy, knowing the thoughts and intents of his heart. If you saw Jesus Christ doing these things today and you knew in your heart that you were a wicked individual, and you saw how he talked to people and how he knew what people were thinking, would you want to be close to him? (laughs) Kind of scary. It's almost like setting up for failure. He should have known better. He doesn't say anything. Jesus doesn't say anything. And they're allowed to continue to follow him. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Do you know scripturally what the job of the Holy Spirit is? What is his job? The Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. He doesn't take any credit himself. He doesn't exalt himself in any way. Neither does God the Father. They're three in one. And the Holy Spirit's duty is to point people to Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who does he point people to throughout scriptures? He points people to the Father. And then it goes in a circle. So if you're committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the the essence of the Holy Spirit, the, the purpose for his existence and his job is to point to Jesus, what is the sin of blasphemy? It's the rejection of Jesus Christ. He can say, you can say anything. You can do anything. All sins of man will be forgiven except this one, which is to reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And there's a reason that we, 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 we recognize that and talk about it. Because he's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can give us that access to the Father that we need through Jesus Christ. So he rebukes them. He talks about this house too in the, in the previous verses. How can a, a, a kingdom falls if it's divided against himself? Jesus is a reasonable person. He's like, let's talk about this. If I'm, you know, if I'm a part of the demonic kingdom, then how do I have any authority to cast them out? 
But you know, they're seeing miracles. They're hearing the word of God speak. They're listening to the warnings. And some of these people are still rejecting the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I've heard, how many times I've heard throughout the last 15 years that I've been in ministry, how many times I've heard I've been talking to somebody who was a non-believer or hostile to the gospel or just ignorant, and how many times have I heard them say, you know, if Jesus would just do something for me, if he'd just give me a sign, if he'd just talk to me, if, if, if he'd just give me that job, or he'd do this, or he'd do that, then I would believe. I'd say, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. These guys had Jesus incarnate standing in front of their face, seeing things that, that, that you cannot believe. And their hearts, what Jesus said, were so hardened towards him that it didn't matter what he did, they were still demonstrating the most precious thing that we possess as human be- beings. We, they were demonstrating their own free will in rejecting the Son of God. Verse 31. Then his brothers and his mother came and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Group number four, many people don't even realize this, especially those who are brought up in a Roman Catholic background. Group number four was his own family. Now, I've talked to Catholic apologists, especially since the area of Europe that we were was very, very Roman Catholic. And I asked them about this particular verse. And, you know, their response to me as well in the Greek, that word for brothers isn't isn't brother. It's actually a cousin. So it could be somebody who extended family when that's not the case at all. Now you're just twisting scripture. To direct focus to Mary because she has to be sinless because she didn't have any other kids after Jesus, which was, is the Roman Catholic tradition. The only reason I bring this up is because Scripture clearly talks about it. It, it clearly brings it up. So, so if, 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 if the word for brothers is cousins, what's the word for mother mean? <laughs> Whatever. We're not, we don't want to talk to you, you little American punk. But Jesus has this response. Here's the the fourth group of people that are following him. The first, the multitude. The second, his disciples. The third, the religious people. And then the fourth, his own family. And they're trying to exert some kind of control over him as well. And and what is Jesus' response? His response is the most important thing in life for everybody. This is how he sums it up. The most important thing in life is not your family. The most important thing in life is not your job. The most important thing in life is not how many followers you have, is not how great you think you are. It's not any of those things. The most important thing in life is that you would do the will of God. What's God's will? How do we respond to God's will? 
even in our own heart. Maybe, maybe we don't know exactly what God's specific will is for us, but there's a passion in us. There's a desire to know and to follow him. It's greater than anything else. And Jesus isn't telling them that, he won't, that, that they can't come in, right? He, he's not telling them that they can't come in. He's telling them that he's not going to go out. Hey, if you guys, you know, like, if you want to come in, I'm, I'm here. They don't have any special kind of relationship to him that prohibits other people from coming to him which is also interesting in talking about family as Jesus is the Messiah. Everybody, everybody has the same free access to him. No matter who you are, no matter what place of life you're in, what you've done, this is the same thing for us today. Jesus welcomes us. He wants us to follow him. If you haven't already heard, ask. Ask the Lord, what do you want from me? What is my calling? How can I be obedient? How can I make what's most important in my life to be to to seek and follow the will of God? Because I'll tell you guys this. If that's what your intention is, to seek to fulfill the will of God, and that's the most important thing over anything else, you will be blessed. And I'm not talking about health and wealth, all that baloney and garbage. I'm talking about you fulfilling the reason that God allowed you to come into existence. The meaning of life, not for everybody, for you. The meaning of life. Jesus says, follow me. I know for all of you who have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to whatever degree, I don't know, but you know, but whatever degree in your submission to him, you're experiencing abundant life on a level that you haven't experienced before. There's a draw to him. And maybe you don't always understand or see the facts or know what's happening, but your trust is in him and he promises to and will and always has take care of you and fulfill that calling in your life. And here's another thing. Don't let the enemy try to frustrate whether God does have a calling for you, because if you heard it from him, then he does. And the next step will not be to either to next two things, either to disqualify you to some degree from that calling or to make you think that you don't have one. You have a place. You have a purpose. Where God has placed you in your family, where God has placed you at school, where God has placed you in work, where God has placed you today in his body right now. Look around the room. There's people who care about you. There's people who you're going to touch today that you wouldn't have been able to if you hadn't come. The multitude. Do we have the multitude mentality? Follow what's trending. Let's be a part of it. 
Let's, let's do it now, full bore, so that in 20 years we can reminisce about how awesome it was. Forget that. Are you one of those who desires to go up to the mountain with Jesus? To receive that calling? And not just willing to go again, again. Not just willing to go, but willing to receive whatever it is. And then the third, there's always time for repentance. It's always now. Jesus is always correcting people. But for those religious elite, those people who were disconnected with the real reason that Jesus was there, there's always opportunity for submission to him. We even see it with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. One of the, the rulers of the day having to sneak to see Jesus at night so nobody else would see him because of the pressure of being associated with the Son of God. (laughs) That's insane. For four, sometimes we can place our families in an unhealthy uh, status in our lives. And I say that as a husband. I say it as a father who loves my wife and loves my kids that I have to be careful that I don't equate my relationship with my family or what's happening with them as uh, greater importance than my relationship with God. Because here's the truth. God aligns me, he corrects me, and helps me be the father that I have to be. Without him, I'm a terrible dad. True story. Without him aligning me, I'm a terrible husband. I'm selfish. I want the praise. I want the glory. But as long as I'm aligned first and foremost with God through Jesus Christ, everything else is set up. Everything else is set up, setting me up for success in those areas. Let's pray. God, we want to be the kind of followers that are following you genuinely. We we don't want to follow you because others are following you. We don't want to follow you because it's trendy to follow you. We don't want to follow you because of something that we can gain from you apart from a relationship with you. If there's anything else, Lord, that we're seeking to follow you for, please correct us. God, open our hearts this morning to what your Spirit has to say to us as he directs us to our Lord Jesus. Teach us how we can effectively respond, not just to you and the calling that you've given to us, but to others in the state that this world is in. Give us wisdom that we would be gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. That what would flow from our lives would be love and compassion and mercy and understanding. And that we wouldn't be about the kind, we wouldn't be the kind of people who are about kicking other people out that don't meet certain qualifications that we think they should. But having an all-encompassing love like Jesus demonstrated. So even if they're wrong, they're presented with the truth. They're presented with life. Help us identify, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name what group we're a part of. 
Are we part of the multitude? Are we those disciples that desire to be closest to you? Are we some kind of religious elitist who thinks that we can make our own rules or follow certain traditions? Are we like the family that thinks that because we have a relationship with you, it's exclusive to us only? We could dictate what your relationship looks like with others. Whatever the case may be, we want to repent. We want to receive instruction from you. We want to be made well to be like you so that we, by, by some means, by any means, can, can win some for you. We ask these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.